And now, The Ropes. Welcome back to The Ropes. I'm Ray Bartholomew from Grantland.com. I'm here with my man, B.C., Brian Campbell, Mr. ESPN, got to use his Adrian Broner in intro. Hey, B. Uh, in BC. What's going on, BC? Back up, back up, because it's on R-A-F-E and <laughs> oh, me, Lord. the B to the C. Uh, we didn't even plan it. Uh, you you got to be handy with, handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. Mound up. Earn your keep. All right, man. Um... Well, you know, let's get into it. Let's get into it. This, this, this show uh, is pretty good. It's a packed week in boxing. Everybody knows this. Uh, three pretty interesting or significant on various levels fights to look forward to this weekend. First, Adrian Broner versus Sean, Sean Porter. Uh, then uh, Andre Ward is finally returning to the ring for the first time since like November 2013 uh, against Paul Smith, who we're going to learn who he is at some point in time this weekend. Uh, and then uh, our boy David Lemieux. Mew and his hair taking on Hassan oh. Endam uh, and his uh, long shorts and his little friendly trainer is going to be a, a pretty fun fight there at middleweight. Uh, those are the fights we're going to discuss later on. We also have uh, an interview with Lou DiBella, the trainer of Sergio Martinez, the former promoter. middleweight champion, uh, former trainer, former promoter. Thank you. Uh, former promoter or, or the promoter of former middleweight champion Sergio Martinez, who retired officially over the weekend at the International Boxing Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And before we get into all that, though, you know, it's June going into July, kind of halfway through the year of 2015. And it feels good, but also kind of weird. So I want to ask you, Brian. Is it a good year of boxing? I mean, I, I guess anything compared to 2014 is a good year in boxing. But, is, is, you know, how good should I be feeling right now? Well, listen, dude, uh, 2014 was awful. So, so anything better than that was an improvement. This year, this first six months, I mean, the potential was for it to be massive because the two biggest storylines almost coinciding were Mayweather Pacquiao, finally, mm-hmm. and of course the launch of the PBC, which, which is not only bringing us this new series slash league, it's slowly taking over every network. I think in the end, the first six months has been pretty good. The, the, we've had the consistency of multiple fight cards every weekend. I mean, always at least one card to care about, sometimes one on Friday, two or three on Saturday. I mean, I don't think that's been a problem. That's been really fun. I think the, the only problem, if I can be a complainer and say why this hasn't been, you know, a year on par with 2013, which is really arguably, you know, at that point, the best year we'd seen in the last 20 years, is the fact we haven't really seen great fights. We've yeah. seen a bunch of good fights, some fights that weren't, you know, weren't big on paper but overachieved. We've seen a good mix. It just hasn't been great, Rafe. So it's hard for me to really give a you know an, an A grade or anything like that at this point. Yeah, well, I'll be a little bit of a complainer. I've got two things, and part of it might just be me adjusting to this new the the new era of what PBC means and and televised boxing. Honestly, it and and I maybe I have to turn in my boxing heads card, my my Hashtag. you know my yeah my my Twitter account to to uh, after saying this, but there are weeks where I can't keep up with it, and I don't, and there's too much going on on too many different channels at too many different times. There's PBC here, HBO there, you know Showtime, PBC masquerading as Showtime over here, other stuff, BET, True TV, uh, and like I'm. I, I don't I can't keep up with it by the end. I don't know when it's going to be on. I don't know who's fighting and like it's harder to keep up with sort of the promo shows, right? The the all access and 24/7 type shows. I know they're out there. They're yeah, harder to find. It's just sort of like I, I and 
and I'm almost sort of like disoriented and maybe, you know, it's weird to be in a position of being like, man, too much boxing, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good, it's not a good look for me right now. It's not good for my brand. I know I'm missing things that normally would be automatic, whether it be like, you know, the fight game on HBO or, or a lead up preview, you know, 24 seven, like you're mentioning, I'm just missing them completely because there's so much, but I like that, you know, where there's so much because the PBC is basically on every network right now, right. but I like what this could mean. And this could mean competition because you're seeing other people really have to step up. I mean, HBO is having a massive year at a point where there was some pressure on them with the launch of this sure. PBC and you know but speaking of every network right I mean we just heard news that the PBC is officially taking over Fox Sports 1 and 2 with another one of these potential time bias type situations when the Golden Boy deal expires in July I mean PBC's everywhere and, and poor Oscar Golden Boy promotions this is kind of like insult to injury to him you know what I mean it's kind of like uh, you know I gotta imagine Oscar's like they took my rings they took my Rolex I looked at my brother said damn what's next i mean i know he's got that lawsuit against there but it's like the, every major channel pbc's there as we're seeing as this business plan starts to start to take shape i mean rafe is this really what you think they're doing sort of closing out every possible channel for anybody else not worrying about how much money they're hemorrhaging and just you know trying to really own this space for the casual fan yeah it seems like it just flood the market you know make it so that no one else can no one else can 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 work or compete against it pay more than everyone else and you know use that giant war chest to sort of uh, crowd a lot of the com competition out of the business now obviously uh, eventually that probably means taking on HBO and those are two uh, very deep pocketed uh, organization. So who, who, who knows how that's going to work out? Um, but, but sort of, you know, yeah, another thing, uh, in that to say in favor of boxing 2015 has been the ratings. I mean, it's been really impressive. We've been used to like year after year, sort of the de rigueur, you know, 1 million for a, for a, for a HBO show, a HBO decent card. You know, you're like, all right, they got a million, not bad. You know, and if it dips too low beneath that, then you're thinking, ah, not great. If it goes above, you're like, good for you guys. Now you're seeing the big, numbers Canelo put up, Cotto put up, and, you know, Golovkin's always in, like, 1.3, 1.4 million. Uh, you know, the, the viewership has been good for boxing. So that, and of course... That's the, some the Maypack runoff. What's I oh, yeah. Some, yeah, I think you know, so. You know, boxing fans are, like, hooking a left on 2-1 in Lewis. Some brothers shooting dice. They're like, let's do this. You know, they're seeing boxing on TV. They're like, you know, this is something, uh, you know, I can get back into, maybe. And I think that's really the onus on PBC to provide good fights, because this year could be huge for the sport. Let, let's hope that second half, you know, really produces. And and when we look at that second half, Rafe, what, what would you like to see? Whether there's a specific fight, a trend, a, a fighter coming back, what do you need to see in the second half to, to really make this a good year for you? Well, I know there are a couple big fights, big matchups that we're anticipating that, that have a good chance of being made in the second half of this year, and it might sort of push it up to a, to the level we're hoping it'll get. But really what I want to see, if there's going to be this consistent amount of boxing on TV, I want to see the the matchmaking not i don't want to criticize the quality of the matchmaking because it hasn't i think it's uh, people sort of underrate how good it has been and some of the fights that people uh complained about you know were looked good on paper beforehand and they turned out to be good like DeGale and Durrell i mean people you know kind of moaned about that one but there was a lot of things to to you know it may we didn't know it was going to be as uh, have as much action and be as competitive as it ended up being but it it, it was uh we knew it was it, it was going to tell us something about that division and those are the kind of fights that I want to see. I don't I'm not really a stickler for the for uh carnage or the amount of action in a fight, but I want things that will feel like they're building towards towards something. So that means fights where, you know, guys who are on the up and up and they're on an upswing in their career 
end up fighting each other, and we sort of sort out who is the best at the top of these crowded, uh, crowded weight classes, like you know middleweight and featherweight and uh, welterweight, you know junior welter. You know that's that's what I want to see in the second half of 2015. You don't like to see two guys on the downswing of their career. I like that. Know? Actually, don't those that makes sense too. What I don't want to see is the two the, the sort of one guy on one step and the other on the you know I mean they're and they're good crossroads fights too, right? One guy going down, but you want like it it has to be done smart and and I think there it doesn't come off to me yet like it's been done with maybe enough level of planning True. and foresight like I think they just have all these guys signed in PBC especially and they're just saying hey we got we got to get Lara a fight who's what wh- who's a body at 154 oh, yeah it doesn't seem to be like you know a storyline where if this guy yeah. wins this fight he's probably fighting the guy you just saw last week there doesn't seem to be anything built in like that and I think that's been a little frustrating uh, what about you? What what do you want to see in the second half of twenty? You know, I want to see what everybody wants to see: big fights, all that. You know, Triple G and in, in maybe get a big fight this fall, but it doesn't really look like that potential. But I, I got this guilty pleasure, which is old guy fights. You know what I mean? It's it's something that's not really good for the sport, not really good for <laughs> not really good for these old guys. But we've seen so much, you know, racket about. I mean, look, I'm a guy who can get fooled. I get fooled by packaging easy. You can buy me with food. You know, I you mean, want I still go cra- tour. Yeah, I still go crazy when I hear a symbol on a hi hat. You know, with a souped-up tempo, I, I can be bought easily. But man, when I hear old guys talking about making a comeback, it's hard for not me for, for me not to get excited. I mean, we've had Oscar flip-flopping just in the right, past week. Right. So is week. this recent news that Oscar now sort of backing off his comeback uh, story? Yeah, is that well, kind was, of that hurting you right now? Yeah. He, well, you know, I mean, I'm a huge Oscar mark, so he's trying to tell TMZ he wants to fight Triple G. Then you know, we have uh, Mosley running his mouth trying to say he wants to come back. Oscar saying, you know, I'd fight Floyd. Floyd saying, let's do it. Then of course, Oscar pulls back. He wasn't serious. There's these really awful Tyson Tony rumors that that. <laughs> I never believed that are going around. I don't. I've always sort of been with boxing and UFC. The kind of guy that says, "Hey, why don't we do an old guy division?" I mean, it's the worst idea ever. But you can't <laughs> tell me you wouldn't pay like twenty nine ninety five to see like Oscar Tito two or or something ridiculous like Tyson Holyfield three. Maybe, you can't. I mean, it's the same reason why Friday night uh, Kimbo Sh- Kimbo Slice is going to PBC undercards. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it on PBC undercards. Okay. You know, put it put it on before like a real fight, or I shouldn't say real fight, but put on a more significant fight uh and then i could get into it like i i i you you got you're talking to the wrong person saying i'm gonna put out 30 dollars to watch you know a couple washed up guys lay on each other in the you ring you gonna watch uh, kimbo shamrock on friday though? Oh, man i you know I, i'm tempted the the promos for that kim shamrock's <laughs> face alone is making me want to see that did you see he's living in a in a in a uh rv outside of the the, the gym with the with the gray beard growing oh it's just, it, that's classic carnival tv you know that's see i can get sucked into that it's not good for boxing it's not good for the these guys health but uh, i'll tune in to watch a 41 year old fight a 51 year old you know if one of them has a chest mohawk well, you see that's it. one thing that 2014 really taught us brian is that even in the worst year for competitive boxing that you can <laughs> come up with boxing is still going to give you carnival moments in all sorts of in every sort of way uh and I, that's obviously sort of uh, uh bubbling up more now than ever on social media i mean i we see our boy curtis stevens uh dr- you know f- dancing on the funky dunk funky dunk that the J.R. Smith Segway machine from the from the NBA Finals. I mean, you see all kinds of new stuff. And and you were telling me earlier today about this the 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 cherry 
picking beef between oh, yeah. Oscar De La Hoya and the Garcia clan. Danny Garcia, the uh, so-called, well, not even anymore, the vacated 140-pound champion, and his father and trainer, Angel Garcia. What is going on with that? Okay, so Oscar regrams on Instagram a pic of, of Danny knocking out a pair of cherries with a, with a banner saying, you know, Danny Garcia versus Paulie Malignaggi, which we're going to see on right. ESPN on August 1st. Angel comes back with this weird video that I didn't really understand, and, and we're going to play the well, audio for and it. And before we, before we throw to that video, just to give people the background, see, there there's a great uh, Twitter account. Uh, not Twitter. Is it Twitter? I don't know if they have Twitter, but Instagram no, account Instagram. called The Cherry Team. And they, they go after boxers who are they, they accused of fighting weak opponents. Uh, and they just put, you know, they put, they, they Photoshop cherries onto the pictures of them. And they, they go into their comments and put cherries, 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 like they're cherry picking opponents. So that's what Angel Garcia is responding to. And you know, uh, Angel's not going to take that because Angel's on Instagram we, we, now. Like Angel crazy is our Angel guy. Garcia. We talked to, he bleeds with Danny. He's in there <laughs> bleeding in the ring with Danny. Go back and listen to our interview with Angel Garcia. He is a connection. And, and also, what did he, what is his name of his new Instagram account? It's at Crazy Angel Garcia. And it's been a, a weird mix of, of him driving while filming himself, singing, <laughs> singing to rap songs and calling people out. It's been, it's been off the rails. You know, it's an acquired taste, but so is Angel. But this was his response to what Oscar did. I was looking through my Instagram, my page, and I find Oscar that I always post cherries on the champ of the world, Danny Garcia. But this is what I got for Oscar. I got fish, scale. Hit me up on the low, Oscar on a D. Thank you. Brian, real quick, what what is he talking about I there? Know. Like, I know he the one after that where he says he's saying like, I got your song here, Oscar, and he plays the he plays the OT Genesis song Coco, and he said about cocaine. Okay, I get that he's making fun of Oscar's drug habits in the past. But what is this about fish scales? Believe me, this was like trying to decode like a puzzle or some game. I've been I've been doing research trying to figure this out all day. I gotta think that picture of the fish on his screen that he showed has to be some reference to, the, to Oscar's infamous fishnet stockings. I'm, I am familiar with the infamous fishnet photo shoot and then the scales gotta be some drug reference anyway like it's just it's just interesting when things like this play out and, and I, I just don't think oscar should want to get into a social media war with a guy like angel you know considering the skeletons in oscar's well, closet i mean a guy named crazy angel garcia is not someone you want to take head on and challenge <laughs> in any way i mean you see he and he's one of the most i mean and this is boxing one of the most volatile characters at least verbally in the sport he does not care he will say anything at any time like and Oscar, has, his entire career has been like sort of Mr. Nice Guy. Well, I lost, but I'm still happy. Ah. Like, uh, you know, I mean, don't go at Angel. It's a bad idea. Yeah, and I think there's there's some weird beef there because I think Garcia Salka was the fight that really made Oscar sort of really get disillusioned with what was going on, you know, yeah. with Heyman a bit last year, and he was upset at the matchmaking. He didn't even he stayed he was there that week to promote the fight, but didn't stay for the fight that night. He you know he flew out. There sure. was a little bit of an argument there, but you know whatever. Yeah. There are guys, you know, Garcia Angel Garcia's guy who's going to tell it like it is, and so is our guest this week, Rafe. For sure, man. Lou DiBella, you know, the promoter of former middleweight champion Sergio Martinez, who retired this weekend, and uh, also who's beginning to work or has been working with the PBC to promote some of their events. Uh, we talked to him about all that and a little bit more. Let's listen to that and come right back after. We are pleased to welcome to the ropes boxing promoter, film producer, and minor league baseball team owner, Brooklyn's own Lou DeBella, who will be promoting the August 1st PBC on ESPN card at the Barclays Center, headlined by Danny Garcia and Paulie Malinaji. 
He's also the longtime promoter, of course, of former middleweight champion Sergio Martinez, who announced his retirement last weekend after a memorable 17-year career. Lou, thanks for joining us. What's happening, man? It's been a been a crazy week. It was a little bit, um, you know, sad to to uh, to watch Sergio make that announcement, but I think he did the right thing, and um, he went out with the same class he showed throughout his whole career. Yeah, absolutely, Lou. I, I you know, uh, Brian and I are both have been big Sergio fans over the years, so uh, it, you know it made sense, but it made us a little misty seeing that. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, when, when precisely, you know, as far as you know, did well, was it was there a last straw uh, in Sergio's, you know, sort of attempts to make to recover and maybe come back one last time and try and get get his his body back to where it needed to be? What 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 was that final straw that made him say it's just not? there and, and decide to retire well i mean i i pretty much had a sense the night of the Cotto fight after the fight that mm-hmm. if, if he um if he didn't believe he was able to resume his career at a high level again that he was gone like i i i saw that coming he pretty much said as much to me um you know he saw some of the top knee surgeons in the world um after the the Cotto fight and they you know talked about the possibility of surgery, but basically told him the surgery would be so extensive that it would be career-ending. Wow. And um, he went through some experimental physical therapies and, um, you know, was working out, was sparring, um, you know, light sparring to, to test his, his leg. And it gave out during that period of, of rehabilitation, um, you know, to the point where it became clear that uh, that he just couldn't do it any longer. And that was that. You know, he... he, he um, he wanted to wait for the Hall of Fame, um, you know, to make his announcement. Uh, he thought that that would be an appropriate time to do it. And I also think that, um, you know, I, I don't think he, I, I think he was really upset with the way his, you know, he went out that last fight. And, and, and I could tell you that there wasn't a case of an injury that was being hidden that he knew that he was, you know, didn't have uh, the ability to fight. Um, you know, he knew that he was he was deteriorating physically, but he knew that over really the last decade of his career. And, and part of where this guy's greatness, you know, was, was in the fact that at the time that he made his rise to the top and, and became one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in the world, as an athlete, his body was already giving in a little bit. Right. Uh, he had chronic pain, you know, chronic pain, shoulder pain, chronic issues with his legs. Um there wasn't a fight he had that I promoted, and I promoted pretty much every fight for Sergio, uh, you know, a- after he came to the States and, and was his promoter, you know, during his entire uh, period at the top. Um, he was never 100%, you know, physically, but there were never excuses in any fight. There were never, um, you know, he, he never complained. Um, you know, it just came with the territory. He was a two-sport athlete in, in soccer and, and cycling, before he got into boxing, and, and and part of the reason that he made the shift in in you know to boxing was not only as a result of skill level, but but, but as a result of of some injuries he suffered as as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I pretty much saw it coming, and I think he did the right thing. And um, you know he's not the kind of guy. I think one thing that hurts me a little bit, and he, again he's not the kind of guy that complains. But you know these accusations and and hate that went into this. You know, on the part of a lot of people after the Cotto fight who believed that somehow he went in there and, and, you know, took people's money. I mean, they had to stop that fight when he was on his feet and he was getting, you know, pummeled and he still had some moments. And it was clear, you know, he never recovered from that, that punch that landed flush 
right at the beginning of the fight. Mm-hmm. But I think the combination of that punch and, and, and maybe some concussive uh, uh, you know, reaction to it with a body that was simply breaking down, I mean, that was pretty much it. You know? And that was the end of a great career right there, and he knew it, and, and he went out like the champ he is. Right. But, you know, the, the, the great thing about this guy, and, and part of the reason I think he's a Hall of Famer, is not only because he had a great run, he fought everybody out there that was at the top while he was in that run. You know, Golovkin and he simply didn't intersect when Sergio was uh, sure. physically able, you know, to compete with him. And, and, and when, you know, at, at the time that Golovkin would have been a makeable fight, Golovkin brought, didn't bring any economic mm-hmm. value to the table at that point. He simply wasn't the star he is now. Um, and... And uh, I think that also the kind of guy he was outside of the ring, you know, a guy that, that went to women's shelters on a regular basis without anybody with him, without a PR person, without any press, a guy that, you know, publicly took incredible stances against bullying, that never turned down an opportunity to go to a hospital if he was asked to visit a, a young fan or, or to, um, you know, to do anything to help the underdog. I mean, he was raised in, in incredible poverty. Um, he didn't have an easy childhood, and he never forgot where he came from. But he, you know, he he, he did the right things uh, as a man to to give back, and and that's who he is, and that's why he's going to have, I think, a career um, following boxing where I, I don't think he's going to disappear, and I think you're going to hear great things out of Sergio Martinez. Lou, he remained incredibly loyal to you when he maybe didn't have to be. You guys had a, had a great relationship. So how hard was it for you to sort of sit and watch that fight with Cotto, you know, when you just saw in front of your eyes the, the, the body just completely falling apart like that? It was, um, it was incredibly, it was really painful, honestly. I mean, it was, you know, I, there haven't been a lot of fighters in my career that I have the, the personal relationship that I, uh, that I have with him. And, and, I mean, maybe the only one, frankly, is Mickey Ward. Um, who, who similarly is just an incredible spirit, an incredible human being. Uh, and also, the two of them are the two most loyal athletes I've ever worked with. Uh, you know, at one point, my contract was six months from running out with Sergio. There was, there was a date certain where my contract would have, been ter- you know, would have terminated on its face. And another promoter who will remain nameless pulled the old, you know, couple of million dollars in a leather bag trick <laughs> and, you know, We've tried to sign him literally. <laughs> To a contract, uh, you know, that would be, would have begun the day after my contract ran out, and um, and I didn't have a couple of million dollars in a bag to give him. I mean, that wasn't something I could have offered if I wanted to. Um, but he basically, you know, told the guy to, you know, thanks but no thanks, and and um, you know, we sat down and talked, and I worked out the fairest deal I could work out for him that didn't include a lot of money in a bag up front. Um, and he he said, I want you to be with me for the rest of my career, and. My last contract with him on its face was very explicit that it was a contract that would have gone to the end of his career. And it, and it will. And I'm proud that, you know, he'll still be on my website as uh, he's the greatest champion I've ever promoted as I mean, one of the best human beings I've ever known as an athlete. So it was an honor to work with him. And, um, and I'm grateful for his loyalty and his friendship. And, and that friendship is enduring, and that's a good thing. Absolutely. Now, I, since you, we're probably going to wait a little while to get into it, but since you brought up a minute ago, I sort of can't resist. Um, and, you know, the way that, that uh, you know, Sergio and Golovkin sort of just missed each other, uh, you know, uh, in their career trajectories. If they, you know, if things had worked out and they had been able to fight with Sergio, sort of, you know, fighting at the at the elite level he was at, you know, that when you had him earlier on, uh, 
and we sort of against the glove can we got now how you know how do you see that fight playing out i mean the the style matchup is just incredible to think of like the way sergio would often fight with his hands down in front of a guy and the and the power he could bring in encountering guys and and uh and of course what golovkin does with his pressure it was the the the, the matchup just is you know from an imagination point of view incredible and i just thought what do you think of it um you know look i have nothing but respect for for Triple G, and I like him as a guy too. He's a real humble, hardworking, you know, terrific talent, and unquestionably, he's the best middleweight on the planet today, and one of the best pound for pound fighters out there. Like that's how good I think he is. But um, you know, the Sergio, in go back to the time as Zinzerich and the, the the first and second fights with Paul Williams, I, I think his style would have given Golovkin fits, frankly. But that being said, it would have been such a sensational fight because there was always that part of Sergio that was the entertainer. You know, that, you know, he was, he was a terrific boxer. He had tremendous physical gifts, like sort of Roy Jones talents. Mm-hmm. Roy, I, I once said to Roy Jones that of all the fighters you've seen, like, who reminds you most of yourself? And he said, Martinez. This was a number of years ago. And, and in terms of the fact that a lot of the stuff Sergio did was sort of singular, athletic, you know, not really easy to replicate. Um, but he did things like, you know, fighting with his hands down, drawing guys in, rumbling when he didn't have to. I mean, to me, the most enduring uh, three minutes of his career was that last round against, against Chavez. Because he, he won every second of the first 11 rounds. There wasn't a moment that Chavez had won that, was winning in that fight. And, and not a round that Chavez won in that fight going into the 12th. But he, like, he wanted to close the show. And then even after he got hurt, he didn't get up and hold. He got up and rumbled. Yeah. It was like, okay, I think he almost knew that if he would have tried to hold the kid, the kid would have thrown uppercuts or whatever might have gotten him. <laughs> and he just relied on the fact, hey, I'm more man than this kid. You know, there's more inside of me than this guy, and I'm just going to go down swinging. That, and, that's his greatest moment in my eyes, Lou. I mean, that was that was true champion, backbone, man stuff right there. You know, stand up yeah, and, champion. And i got to tell you something. I even felt like, you know, I was like, obviously, you asked me how I felt during the Coda fight. It was really depressing to me, but... To watch it, it's just to watch because I knew that his body would, had, had betrayed him, and, and and I knew how hurt he was with that first punch, because he just he, he didn't he, he didn't seem like himself at all in any sense after that that punch landed, um, but but you know even then the, he fought with tremendous bravery and heart, and ultimately his corner had to stop the fight with him on his feet after a round, and um, I, the memory that I'll, that will last with me is that last round against against Chavez when I was standing up and my heart was in my mouth. But I watched, I thought, like a couple of minutes of, of you know, some of the best bravery and, and biggest, you know, cojones I'd ever seen in <laughs> boxing in a rink, ever. Well, Lou, that plays into what I was going to make my next point, is the best compliment I can give Sergio is he never once let the fans down. What I mean by that is he showed toughness, never ducked anybody, never quit in a fight. He never tarnished his reputation with doing something stupid outside of the ring. So... If I have any regrets looking at his career, it's really that he was never able to secure that giant mega fight outside of Chavez, you know? So I wonder what would have happened before the injuries if he would have had that chance with Mayweather at 154. It's always the fight that got away from me. How close, when you look back, were you ever to really getting him one of those top-level fights outside of that Chavez fight? And do you have any regrets the way that it played out with him being avoided so badly? I mean, it played out how it was going to play out. I mean, I would have loved for him to have a shot at Mayweather, but frankly, I mean, Sergio was a big, you know, strong 54-pounder. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying big, strong middleweight. I mean, by the way, he never fought at a catchweight or made anyone come down a pound, even though Sergio's, you know, honestly, his best weight classes were 47 and 54. 
You know, I mean, he really wasn't a 60-pounder at all. He simply came up to get the fight. You know, like, he, he was really a 54-pounder. He, he, he never weighed in at the 60-pound limit, ever. Like, you know, he would fight at 60, and he'd walk in as champion and weigh in at 57, 58. That was par for the course. It was one of the reasons why, you know, he was, he was champion. But to get the Cotto fight, he had to fight at a catchweight. You know? Um... Which is sort of silly, and and, and I, I I watch the stuff going on now with Cotto and the weight, and I don't really like it. I mean, he's been a great fighter and had a great career, but you know, you're a middleweight champion. Yeah, he's holding the bell hostage. Title at 160 pounds, don't make a guy that's fought that's not as good as you. I mean, the Gale fight proved nothing to me, and I don't want. I'm not bashing Cotto. He's a great fighter, but to make a guy that's never fought at that weight, who's nowhere near as good as you, as a prohibitive underdog, and, had, and frankly, there's no way in God's earth <laughs> Daniel Gale was ever going to beat Miguel Cotto. <laughs> He should have let Gale walk in at you know any any weight he wanted to, frankly. But like it was a middleweight title fight. He should have weighed one, been able to weigh one sixty. I mean, Sergio never did any of that kind of stuff. And even when, honestly, he got. I mean, what happened in, in the ring with Cintron, where he he knocked the guy out, mm-hmm. beat him, and then wound up with a like a ridiculous decision. The, the first Paul Williams fights when the scores were announced. I mean, it was a close fight, but. If you listen to the scorecards and, and, and whatever, and you, you watch the fight, you know you could shake your head. But he wasn't a whiner or a complainer or whatever. He just picked himself up and went on to the next fight and did his thing. And and, um, and like like you said, I think it's correct. I think he always gave the fans, you know, the best of him. And um, and that was including the best of him as a human being, the best of him as a man, as a person. You know that that's what he he he, he showed. I mean, I've never I never saw him treat a fan with anything less than open arms and respect and, and he appreciated you know what came to him so late in his career you know the recognition and and the money and and the fame and you know also he's just a together adult guy i mean like he 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 didn't start making money until his 30s but then when he made that money he didn't squander it he didn't throw it away he didn't do lavish crazy things um he invested with smart people and you know he's going to have a pretty good and you know life the rest of the way and um you know he and his the kids he eventually has, uh, uh, they're not going to have to worry about um, paying the bills. Right. Lou, like another thing that sort of made it uh, sort of, I don't know, drew fans to Sergio, I think, certainly me, he, him and his team seemed like such a bunch of characters sometimes. I mean, like when whenever, I think it was after the after he beat Paul Williams in the second fight, after he knocked him down, he throws on the, the plastic the like, crown, Burger, the Burger, Burger King, King crown. <laughs> and, you know, Pablo Sarmiento always with the giant sunglasses and Samson with the gold chains. And, I mean, everybody looked like such kids. What was it like being around? those guys and i mean did you where did the crown come from i don't know i mean i know literally the first time i ever saw the crown it literally was like a burger king crown i think the crown <laughs> got a little bit better it became plastic after the first <laughs> after the first fight but um no there were a bunch of characters and you know look Sir, samson um lukowitz he, he was the guy that brought man people forget this but he manny. brought manny pacquiao to the united states this guy's like you know in terms of talent scouts and boxing um, you know, now he's a he's a promoter, but he he was the, you know he really was the, one of the, the top talent scouts in the history of boxing. But you know, this is the first time that he had a guy that you know he brought this guy over. He he knew what he had. Um, you know, the biggest promoters didn't want him. The, the, a lot of people passed on him. I saw the the DVD and I was like, well, I was salivating. Um, but you know, the people around him, you know, they sort of were having this this rise and this experience and this, you know, I've been lucky enough in my career that I, I've worked with other, you know, great fighters and I've had the opportunity to, to have, you know, some, some, you know, be involved in some very big events. And my, you know, I go back now 26 years in this business. 
Um, but it was also fun being around those guys because they were all enjoying this ride together, and it was like the first time getting a taste of, of you know, of the good life for right. all of them. And, and that's just a lot of fun when it happens to good people, you know. Lou, you were along for, for the whole ride here in terms of Martinez becoming a celebrity, you know, in, in Argentina and Spain. When you're there with him in his element, how do you sort of compare what his celebrity is like in those countries? I mean, he, he, he literally is like the kind of guy, he can't walk down the street in Argentina without getting mobbed, you know. And um, in Argentina, he's, he's uh, there's like, a, um, you know, there's, there's a, almost a cult, cult element to it. I mean, a Manzone kind of Bonavena Furpo, he's, he's of that that ilk. I mean, he he won. I mean, Sportsman of the Year. You know, during during his period at the top, and beat out Messi, who's a god in Jesus, Argentina. Yeah. Um, so in Argentina, it was it, it was a ball. I mean, when we did that, when we did that fight in the soccer stadium, um, and, and again, like I don't think he wasn't like injured before that fight, though he did like break his hand in that fight, um, and 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 slipped on the, the on, that, there was like such torrential rain. I don't know if you watched that fight, but it was literally like. They thought they were going to have to cancel the fight. That's how bad the weather was. And, and the ring mat and the areas of the ring mat that were by the ropes and in the corners were, were sopping wet. And, you know, his, his leg at one point, you know, slipped on mm-hmm. the, like he, it, the water uh, caused him to slip. And, 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 you know, his legs aren't, aren't, so, aren't so great to begin with. And then, you know, in a fight that, that frankly, very easily you could have had him losing, the clo- you know, after 10 rounds close. Uh, certainly uh, an even fight after 10 rounds. He, he's the guy with the younger, bigger man literally having the, the victory within his grasp. The guy that sucked it up and won the championship rounds was Sergio Martinez. Right. You know? So, and there were 50, and, and by the way, it was the worst weather I've ever seen for an outdoor fight, ever. And there were 50 plus thousand people Jesus. in a soccer stadium to support him. You know, that was a memorable, I had some like incredibly fun times and memorable experiences with the guy. I'm very grateful um, you know, for the opportunity to have worked with him and, and promoted him. And it's, you know, provided a lot of the best memories of my career. Right. Lou, you mentioned that that 12th round with Chavez Jr. is sort of the, the most, in one, in a lot of ways, the, the best characteristic moment of, of Sergio's career when you really saw what he's made of. Uh, on some level, because, you know, that might have been also the beginning of, of his knee injuries, or at least when, when people started hearing of them, like he, he tore something during, on one of those knockdowns. Does, on some level, do, you know, do you wish that, you know, he, he, you know, he had coasted through that last round, took the shutout, and, and maybe, you know, been able to fight it at, at you know, uh, his highest level for a couple more fights? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like, you know, twenty twenty hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, but he was who he was. You know, he he was who he was, and and that brought him to the highest moments, and that probably ended his career a little earlier than it might have. Um, and, and the other thing too is like I was much more aware. Like right before the Cotto fight, a documentary came out, and actually, like not to pump it, but because it doesn't really make any economic difference to me, but it's on iTunes right now, and most video on demand. Mm-hmm. It's called Maravilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a documentary about, uh, about how sort of the politics of boxing screw him, screwed him, but eventually he got that opportunity with Chavez. But it, it also has a lot of insights into his life and, and where he came from and who he is. Um, but if you watch that, you understand that like chronic pain was really something that was part of this guy's career. I mean, he wasn't... I noticed when he fought Darren Barker, and it wasn't an injury, but like he was... You know, we did a public workout. It was before the Barker fight at, 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 in a big sporting goods store in Times Square. And 
and he was, you know, hitting the hitting the like pads and, and doing a workout for the people. And I, I was standing there, and I noticed that he couldn't plant. Like, mm-hmm. like he looked like there was like he couldn't plant. And um, I asked what was the matter. What was the matter? And you know, no, no one, no one fessed up to any kind of injury or whatever. Um, you know, but it, it was just that his body had started to break down, and like you know, he had he had all sorts of doctors and specialists and massage therapists and hyperbolic chambers and all this other stuff to try to, you know, <laughs> extend his career. And, you know, but, but it, was, yeah, it was the body of a guy that's been an athlete his whole life, and, and that body was just breaking down. You know, the, the machine was breaking down. And, um, but, but, but that was, the, the Barker fight was fights ago. He, that, right. My point being, he wasn't... That's before you know, he, Chavez, yeah. And, it was, and by the way, he beat Barker by sensational knockout. knockout. And Barker went on to be a champion, beat Daniel Gale, and, you know, and he, he knocked out Barker the way he mm-hmm. knocked out Macklin, the way... He knocked out Paul Williams. He knocked out down Zinzerich six times. People, he ended Zinzerich's career effectively, and at the time, people forget this because he really ruined Zinzerich, but Zinzerich was this undefeated monster who hadn't lost the, you know, was, was, was knocking people out. And, you know, again, at that moment, people were like, you got to fight Zinzerich. I mean, HBO sort of forced the fight because he was the, the toughest guy out there, the, you know, the, this undefeated monster. And then he just dismantled the yeah, guy. Yeah, chopped him up. And, and, but for, for none of these fights was he... You know, I would have loved to have gotten my hands on Sergio when he was 27. And, no question. And you know what? When you look at, like, the losses in his career, like, the, the, the real bad loss of his career was a fight with uh, Antonio Margarito. Mm-hmm. And no one really, Sergio didn't have an amateur background. People, they were throwing him to the wolves as a young fighter. He had nobody looking at him as a top prospect. He was fighting, in, like, all over Europe, like, away from home and, and you know, making nothing. He got $900 wow. to fight Antonio Margarito. Nine hundred dollars. I think Floyd just threw that out the window of his car, as you said. Or that. burned it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Lou. I got to transition you here quick to the PBC before we get you out of here. Mm-hmm. You, you're known as a guy, you know, a promoter who always speaks out against the system. You've had some legendary rants, but now you're a part of this new movement in the PBC, which it seems to be where boxing's going right now. To many, Al Heyman's still seen as sort of like the sports evil empire. So, what drew you to align yourself? That, with? Explain that to me. And you know what? Like, I, I'll ask. You know, I got nothing against Aram on, a, on Like, I, I don't sit here and like you know, crap on Bob Arum or Don King. Right. But what did they give back to the sport? What did they invest in the sport? What, what happened to boxing yeah. under their watch? And what happened to boxing oh, when they were making hundreds of millions of dollars? Hundreds I, I, of millions I, of dollars. I, I, think I, can, I have an answer. It's not necessarily a good answer. I think I know. I mean, it's, it's, it has to do with Heyman never, you know, how reclusive he is, never giving interviews. Well, I mean, I, I know it doesn't necessarily, it's not rational. He's a friend yeah. of mine. I like the guy on a personal level, yeah. and he's a very bright guy, and I'd rather work with very smart people any day of the week. But I'm watching a guy investing in the business, raising money to buy time so that more eyeballs can see a sport that's been disappearing in a huge way from the major limelight. I mean, you know, when you, have, when you go on a, 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 a website now and boxing's lumped with other sports, you know, hunting and fishing, I mean, where, I mean, this was once the number one sport in, in, in the 20th century, in the, in the early to mid-20th century, the, the sport was bigger than baseball. And then it started its decline, you know. And then to the point where, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I, I became a boxing fan because, I watched Nino Benvenuti fight on network TV when I was like, you know, four years old with my grandfather. But then got to watch, you know, Muhammad Ali on network television, R- Ray Leonard, Hagler, Hearns, Duran. I mean, 
You got to see these people on free television. You know, without, and, and, and by the way, I was a kid. I wasn't staying up till midnight watching HBO. Mm-hmm. Right. But wait, at that point, there wasn't, I mean, I'm dating myself, but there wasn't even HBO. But, um, you know, I, like right now, that, that where, where you're getting these boxing matches coming on television at a time where uh, a kid can actually watch with, with his or her dad, and, and, you know, it's on free TV, how's that bad for the sport? And by the way, does it look to you like HBO suffering? The most no. successful frigging television network in the world, and it's they, they're still televising Golovkin and and Kovalev and some very good fighters. They're not putting it be, putting being put out of business. Bob well, Arum has got more money than God. Is, is that what drew you in though? Business? Like what? I mean, I, I guess like some of the railing against PBC, I don't get. And and here's the, the, the thing: make good fights, whether it's PBC or HBO or Showtime. Make good fights, and the more people that see them, the more accessibility there are to them, the better it is for all of us. So, like, the perversity to me lies in the fact that so many quote-unquote boxing writers, and by the way, guys writing for blogs, I got nothing against, you know, if, you, if something's your passion, do it, but there's no barrier to entry to being a, a boxing writer, the same way there's no barrier to entry to being a manager or a promoter, which none of that's a good thing. But, you know, it, it blows my mind when I see hate and, and almost willing something not to work, which is counterintuitive if you love the sport. If you love the sport, you want people to see it. You want it to have an opportunity to rise again. And, and I'm really happy to be promoting this PBC show on ESPN on, on August 1st at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Paulie Malinaji, Danny Garcia, um, Garcia moving up to 47. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a last, last opportunity for Paulie, um, you know, to prove what he still has. And I, I think he should be able to test Garcia. It hasn't looked great his last few fights. And now Garcia's moving up to uncharted territories, at, you know, at 47 no catch weight, you know, at a weight class above and moving up to a new weight class. Um, and, you know, uh, that show, I, I think, will, will be great TV and, and exciting, and it's on ESPN, and it's, I think that's a new level of, of ESPN, um, you know, fight. You know, I, I think the PBC fights that are now coming are clearly bigger, mm-hmm. um, you know, right. in scope and magnitude uh, than what you used to get on Friday Night Fights, and I was a big fan of Friday Night Fights, but I... You know, I, I think this is good for the sport. And they just announced Danny Jacobs, who's like a, a real interesting young champion, um, you know, trying to prove that, that, that he belongs in the, in the ilk of a, a Golovkin. Though I think you know, right now Golovkin is the dominant middleweight. But, you know, Danny's a terrific fighter, a terrific talent, an inspirational kid. And Moore is one of the best available guys out there for him to be fighting. So I think that's a good fight, too. So, you know, I'm happy to, to, to be promoting good boxing. And, and I'm also happy to try to see if this PBC thing works. You know, I mean, I, 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 want, I want it to work. I want our sport to rise. I don't want to be promoting, you know, first of all, I'm not going to die in the saddle like King and Aaron, but I, <laughs> but I don't want to be promoting at 60 years old, you know, uh, a number of years down the road and have the sport be more marginal than it is right now. At right. that point, I'd rather get another baseball team or spend more time, you know, actively involved in the one I have and, and make some more movies and, and, and have fun doing some other things because... You know, when I first got into the sport 26 years ago, it, it, it was in a different place than it is now. And, and even though Mayweather-Pacquiao didn't turn out to be the fight we hoped it to be, it, it did focus incredible interest worldwide on boxing, even for a brief period of time. And it generated more money in one night than the Super Bowl did. And, you know, now, you know, these PBC numbers, whatever you want to say, more people are watching these PBC fights than 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 any of the fights really televised by premium cable because it's available to so many more eyeballs mm-hmm. and it's available without a subscription so, and, and without having to pay per view. 
So, I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm down with, with it right now, and I want to see it work. Sure. And I'm hoping for the best for the sport. You know, I, I've invested a lot of my, my entire adult life, pretty much, other than a couple of years as a lawyer, has been, you know, boxing's been a big part of it. So, I, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of the sport, and, and I want to see it rise again. And I think right now, if, if you know, this incredible effort, this, this, this money that's been dedicated to trying to make PBC work, this, this effort, this marketing machine behind it, this attempt at branding it, this, you know, if I think right now this is one of the best hopes the sport has of, of rising again. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be a hater. And if I have the opportunity to promote shows, even if the fighters aren't under contract to me, I don't care. I'm promoting. And I am really promoting. And I'm yeah. working. But I'm doing it, you know, I'm promoting boxing. That's what I do. Right. So uh, you've been inside. You know a little bit more about what PB, how PBC plans to sort of you know make this work than than most fans and pro- and I'm sure most writers as well. What uh, you know how what does PBC need to do to to sort of succeed long term with this and and for for them for the benefit of PBC and boxing as a whole? It needs to drive eyeballs to television sets. That's what it needs to do. It needs to to gather uh, audience and and and. And you know, market share, market or you know, eyeballs that are out there. And and what it has done successfully in a number of the shows that have have uh, already been televised is younger people, um, the demographic, the younger demographic. PBC's performed pretty well so mm-hmm. far on network TV with that younger demographic. And and you know, also I, I did a I promoted a PBC on Spike show, Amir Khan against Algeria, which turned out to be a terrific fight. Great fight. You know, if people watched it, I thought of, you know, I, I thought it was a really competitive, excellent effort by Algeria and, and a, a, you know, a very, very good fight. And, and that fight was the most watched fight on a Friday night in eight years. And, you know, like that stuff's good for boxing. I mean, I, I, when, when a good fight is seen by a lot of people, that's good for boxing. So what it has to do really, I, I think, is continue to develop stars, um, you know, develop guys that, re, you know, that on a recurring basis are televised on free TV and, and uh, you know, using that PBC brand and then uh, make good fights so that people tune in and continue to try to build fans that haven't traditionally been there. I mean, you know, it's interesting, but a lot of the biggest critics the PBC has lie among the quote unquote boxing heads. You know, <laughs> I, I count myself among them, but they're Do basically... you spell that with a Z or an S, Blue? <laughs> uh, you, can spend it with, you can spell it either way, but it probably is, is more accurate with a Z. Um, but, but, but frankly, it's the 200,000 nerds that read everything Dan Rayfield writes or go in, you know, will even go into his chat room or will watch anything, any boxing that's televised. It's not enough of an audience. Those 200,000 people are great, but they're not who you have to make happy if you're going to build this, I mean, they're also the ones who all stream every fight on their computers. Yeah, but you already, you know, but that's like it's like preaching to the choir. Yeah. You already have those people. Like what 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 PBC needs to do, but it's not just PBC. It's what anybody that's serious about building boxing up again needs to do is to is to bring the fans in. That hey, look, unfortunately, there are probably literally literally a couple of million homes that haven't bought or seen a fight in years that watched what turned out to be a very one-sided and not so compelling um, Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. And, and, but, but PBC, is, it's a better opportunity because of free television. You know, HBO's in a roughly 30-plus million homes, Showtime uh, a few million less than that. You know, network television is, is 100 and whatever million homes. You know, ESPN's mm-hmm. approximately 100 million homes. Spike's about the same. I mean, 
and you're not, you know, you're, you're getting those channels either on free television or basic cable, not with a monthly subscription. So it, it's it, just the platform it creates opportunity, and and. No I think doubt. that's a good thing. I, I can't crowd. You know, I, I think it's it's ridiculous to kind of throw to throw anything at the PBC yet. I mean, we've been getting consistently fun. fun you know, it's, the consistency is there every weekend. The fights have been good enough. More to come on free channels. You really can't hate on that. And, and Lou, we thank you so much here for joining us. I, I feel like we can go hours with you. We'll have to have you on again. One quick question. Who do you guys like in, in Porter Broner? Which, by the way, like, I'd be watching that fight no matter who is televising it. Because oh, I just absolutely. think that's a really good fight. But who, who, what do you guys think? Well, because of the catchweight business, I think that really brings Broner back in. Where I thought it was a fifty-fifty fight, maybe I'd favor Porter. And now with the with the catchweight rehydration, I got to favor Porter's boxing to to, to go you mean the Broner. I'm sorry. Did I say? Yeah, I meant Broner. I'm sorry. I, lucky I didn't call him Berto again. Yeah. No, I think I, that I think that that's a I think that that's a pretty pretty good analysis. So I would not be shocked if Porter didn't catch him. I, I mean, Porter. You know, I don't. We'll see how. I hope he doesn't look bad because of the weight drain. Obviously, it could happen. But on but I think that if he is. Looks like himself, you know, eighty percent, ninety percent. He can close distance. He's explosive. He'll he'll be in Broner's ass for a long time, and and he can really give him some trouble there. I, I mean, and I know he, I know that guy is actually going to come in and and have a good camp. I don't know about Adrian Broner. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the fight, and and I'm sort of like, look, I'd like to see Broner have to walk through the fire. I mean, I mean, he's a talented guy, and you know, he's, a lot of people he's not their cup of tea, and there's a lot of stuff I'm not in love with, but. Um, He's very talented, but I'd like to see him have to eat a, eat a couple of really big bombs and walk through the fire. Absolutely. I think that's going to be an interesting fight. I like Garcia Malinaji a lot because if you look at these hashtag boxing heads, both of, the, both of these fighters are kind of villains to, to the fans. So I think this is a good, uh, you know, going to be a good turnout for fans to come in. Do, who, do you, who do you not like the most? Do you, you know, is it Garcia or Malinaji? One of the guys <laughs> well, is going to I mean, lose. I mean, I, I, Paulie and I have a lot of history, so I'm not even going to go there. But um, <laughs> I, 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 think it, I think it's going to be a pretty good fight, you know. And I think one thing I'll say about Paulie, no matter what ups and downs he and I have had, is – that, that guy usually gives everything he has, yeah, he and he's going to give everything he has that night. And it hasn't exactly looked like the best of Garcia recently. So I'm curious, like, sure. is Garcia going to be better with more pounds on him? And, you know, if he slows down a, a step or two more, um, you know, maybe Paulie's advanced years don't make a difference. Absolutely. Lou, thanks so much for coming on. We'll have to have you back on again. We did get a little mini Lou rant right now. Was, you know, we'll have to have you on again to rant on something else. But uh, you'll be promoting this fight August for I'm sorry, August, yeah, August, August one, August one at the Barclays Center. August one on ESPN. This is the second PBC on ESPN card. It's promoter Lou DeBella. Lou, thanks so much, man. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lou. All right, Brian. I mean, Lou was trying to get you to come up off of some of your predictions there. I know you you hoard them like like gold, like DJ Premier does beats. You know, uh, I mean, are you uh, you know? Well, here we are. You know, it's time to talk about this weekend. Uh, let's start with what I think we both agree, and Lou seems to agree, is the most significant fight of the weekend. Uh, Adrian Broner against Sean Porter, fighting at a 144 pound catchweight with a next-day 154-pound rehydration cl- clause. It's a PBC on NBC fight Saturday night from Las Vegas. Uh, you know, first, let's break it down a little bit. What do you, how, how do you see this fight working out? What are the big factors? 
Well, I don't mean to get salty like a potato chip here, but dude, but I mean, I hate catchweights. This is the worst time for this catchweight to sort of fall in, you know, coming off the Cotto fight with Giel, where it just really sucked Giel down. You know, it just that that was unnecessary in that spot. I think it's plenty unnecessary in this fight because, you know, especially with the rehydration, that's just insult to injury on top of it. I know Porter agreed to it. Porter told me when I interviewed him that that was the only way this fight was going to get made. So I, I know there's only so much blame that can go around. He was willing to do it. His dad was willing to do it. But the problem with this is this is a very good fight, the best PBC fight on paper so far. A mm-hmm. real 50-50 fight in yeah. many ways, depending on who you like. But this catchweight changes everything in my mind because Porter was a guy who debuted at 165 and a half pounds. You know, he's going in the opposite direction. We don't see guys doing this. He was down to 47. He was looking good. He had that strength and in, in bulldozing advantage. Now he's going to suck down three pounds lower. He'd never been below 147. There's a ridiculous rehydration clause. That changes everything, Rafe, on how I'm going to predict this. I probably would have predicted Porter to really overwhelm him, but now I have a lot of questions on how he's going to look, and you hate when that plays a major part in how you're going to break down a fight. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and as, as, as with regards to Adrian Broner, I think maybe, you know, Uncle Roger Mayweather might have said it best a, a year and a half ago when, when he first saw Broner in that, probably at the Mayweather Boxing Club, and he's and he's, he's like, Broner, I thought he was small, but he's not small. He's big. He's big. <laughs> you know, that was, you know, Roger just sort of put it, put it out there, and he's right. I mean, Broner is not that small. I mean, he's already fought at 147, and obviously he didn't look That's his the best part. there. But he can make that weight, and he's a respectable fighter there. Uh, and they're really, it doesn't make sense why. I mean, well, it does make sense why he's putting his opponent at a disadvantage. But uh, from a competitive standpoint, it, 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 there is, he just doesn't need to do that. And the worst case scenario i think for this fight is if porter comes out and looks different from the fighter we have seen over the past 2 or 3 years you know we know what he looks like i mean he's not all he I, he wasn't as successful fighting his fight against kel brook when he lost last year but he was still a version of himself if we see a Sean porter who's sort of lethargic and can't you know have that that explosion when he tries to close distance and do his sort of high athleticism mauling technique uh you know that's going to be a dead giveaway that that Broner isn't fighting the real Sean Porter. He's fighting just some, you know, a, a version that that he used, you know, catch weights and, and negotiations to to manipulate down to a yeah. beat, more beatable Sean Porter. So it becomes a tainted win if he gets it for people who already don't like him. You know, and there's only two spots, Rafe, where I, I approve catch weights, where I say, all right, if it has to be. It's when a guy, you know, it's when guys are so far apart in weight, where the only way to really make a dream fight happen, you know, like Pacquiao moving up two weight classes or something like that, you, you meet in the middle. That's fine, you know, you, you, you level the playing field. I don't like it, but I don't hate it when a guy is an obvious A-side guy, when Mayweather makes Canelo come down two pounds, when Oscar makes Hopkins come down a pound. I don't like it, but you get it. There's a business mm-hmm. element to it. You know, It's not too far away from what a guy's doing. Broner's not in that spot where he has this, where he should have this sort of A-side demand to him, where he can pull this off. I mean, again, I know Porter accepted it, but it, it just it could potentially tarnish what could be a really good fight. But it also could open the door for, for this continued resurgence of Broner. And I know we're probably on opposite ends of this because I was always a guy who, who, despite the antics, just really bought in on, on who Broner was and what he brought to the table. I did sell all my stock, not only when he lost to Maidana, but when he showed us that he wasn't changing after that fight and he was still fighting stupidly, looking to stand and trade constantly when it, when it was clear he wasn't a big puncher in these weight classes. I kind of bought a little bit of the stock back, Rafe, because it looked against Molina when John, uh, John Molina, when he boxed circles around him and refused to trade like he's finally getting it. And now we're seeing in all these Instagram videos 
Floyd is really in, in Broner's corner this time. Around. I don't mean he's working his corner, but every time Broner's in the gym, you're seeing videos of Floyd sort of standing over his shoulder, having an influence. I asked Broner on the phone straight up, you know, what's Floyd doing for you right now? And he said he's, he's helping me both in the ring and with, with business advice. It seems like Floyd is really being used right now to really try to get Broner back on the straight and narrow in the ring. And when he is, Rafe, here's a guy with long arms who's quick, who can box, who has some intangibles with that chin and backbone. I think he can still do really big things. I mean, am I, am I overplaying this? You know, man, I mean, I, I'm not as sold by what you know someone posts on Instagram in 15 seconds. Those might be the only 15 seconds he spent in the gym that day. I mean, like, oh, you obviously don't mean that. that's not true, but Broner, I mean, he, he still seems to be playing the part as eager to play the part of a, of a celebrity of a, of a you know of like Floyd's Floyd you know 2.0 Floyd uh, Floyd negative 2.0 uh, as a <laughs> as being interested in in like you know the the nitty-gritty the the impossibly hard work that that boxers tend to go through before big fights uh, you know and we've already heard rumors that he is pretty far off weight he's the one who put the catchweight in and we're hearing more rumors about him being off weight oh. than Sean Porter. How much will boxing heads go nuts, by the way? Yo, if, I mean, if, and if Broner you know, Broner's weight. done it before with the Twinkie. I mean, he he was off weight again. Was that Vicente, Vicente Escobedo? Oh yeah, off weight eating Twinkies out or posted while, while he was po- posting pictures of Twinkies on his Twitter. Uh, you know, is Broner Broner doesn't care, and I, I don't buy I don't mind Broner's personality that much. It doesn't. I'm not like I don't really have that stick up my behind about all that stuff. But I want to see him take his take his craft, take his sport as seriously as Mayweather does him and you know Mayweather can can put all the pictures he wants of him you know playing with strippers and doing whatever he wants to do burning money I mean none of look whatever that's all on him but when when he's in the ring he is you know who he is and I don't think we know that about Adrian Broner I mean you know we don't know what his his best version is and if he's ever going to show up like that but everything we've seen that was bad is fixable so far because it comes down to the desire. And like you said, it only it only matters what what we see in the ring and what happens in the gym, what we don't see. Mm-hmm. And I just still think there's time because everything, except for the power, he, he's just not a puncher at 40 and 47. So if he's going to be smart enough to try to stop acting like one, stop standing in front of Carlos Molina and Emmanuel Taylor and trying to, you know, and Marcos Maidana and trying to counter these guys and shake his head and get hit, if he just sticks to being a boxer, if he actually follows the Floyd plan, he could end up becoming a marketable guy who, you know, Maybe he's not. He's not going to be under, not going to go on an unbeaten run. I mean, he's probably still going to lose at the very elite level. But he's going to be a guy that I think boxing kind of needs to be his own franchise. Sure. And I think uh, with Floyd in his ear, that's not a bad thing. Look, I don't love everything. You, let me ask you one question about this fight here, I, and this is more to the PVC's mind frame here. Why are they? It seems, you know they're putting these two guys up against each other. It seems like that that kind of suggests they are giving up on one of them. And since Porter is being put at the disadvantage, is Porter like why? Like all he did was lose to Kel. Brook in a competitive fight. I mean, he was. He, he, I, I believe that he lost. I, I have no problem with the decision, but he didn't get embarrassed or undressed or outclassed. He lost and he got outboxed. Uh, he's still. Uh, uh, aggressive, strong, young fighter who, I mean, if you, uh, at that point in time, even after the loss to Kell Brook, if you asked a lot of boxing fans, who would you put more, who would you buy stock in? You'd be buying stock in Porter and not Broner. Why is PBC kind of like selling low on Sean Porter? Yeah, this is weird. It kind of feels like that, that, you know, from a marketing standpoint, they believe more in Broner. That's sort of why they maybe tried to put this catch weight in, or I don't know, you know, we don't know behind the scenes. We don't know if this was just all Broner, but Porter agreed to it. But the weird thing is, if Porter wins here, 
he's kind of like a dark horse Mayweather candidate, right? Because it's obvious that Floyd doesn't seem to be head over heels with the idea of Khan, which is sort of why we don't have a decision yet, even though we expect Floyd back September 12th, mm-hmm. which is kind of creeping up. You know what I mean? We're getting into that territory Very where close. it's like... yeah, and he's going to need to promote this one. They're going to need to do it to, to sell it a little bit. It's Absolutely. not like Manny. So I, you know, I think we know that that if Broner wins, he's not going to fight Floyd. They're just too close. But it's kind of like weird that Porter's this dark horse Floyd guy potentially. Yet they're kind of making him come in like that. I just don't understand it. But I like that PBC's giving us a, a real fifty-fifty Against, fight. I hope yeah, we see with more two, of that. with two fighters who we think have bright futures, and and one of them is going to have to pick themselves up after the law after a right because Thurman's not getting that kind of matchup. Right. I mean, he just did against Guerrero, which is a good which, matchup. Which trying to say, oh, my, my man, Luis Colazo, man, New York, New York, baby. You know, I like to see Thurman back. All I like, right. but, yeah. I, no, I know exactly. Exactly what you're saying about my man Luis Colazo. Let's keep him moving. Uh, speaking of catchweights, uh, the one and only son of God, SOG, Andre Ward, is fighting again for the first time since November 2013. We get to see this man in a ring again. Uh, and he's fighting Paul Smith, who I think fought Arthur Abraham last year in a fight you couldn't pay me to watch. <laughs> At an 172-pound catchweight, is he putting his super middleweight, is Ward putting a super middleweight belt on the line at that weight or is this just like a, a no, no that of, would be illegal i think he's actually uh, this i think chavez is 172 pounds well yeah I mean, line uh, he's got 173 actually actually funfar i think beat him at 172 oh yeah that's right but, uh, we need a unification yeah but uh you know jcc jr still has that 173 pound t- title um well look but, the catch weight here is ridiculous yeah. as well but at least it teases you know uh, it doesn't matter it's not a real it's, <laughs> it's a real fight but it doesn't it's, it's you know it's just to see ward in the ring again and, and and get him back on a, on the uh, in in action yeah i mean he just fought twice and twice in the past three and a half years and the heartbreaking part of that was three and a half years ago when he beat frotch in 2011 oh God, in so december good. to win the super he, six I mean, he was on he top was of the world fighter of the year fighter of the year it looked like you know this guy's a young unbeaten american a, a, you know a guy who's medalist good dude you know i know i know in the interim he his personality is really you know weird on really wore down the boxing heads but back that, at that point was just really seen as this golden child good dude you know it seems like a really great guy it's just interesting the decisions he's made and maybe the big fight potential that he's lost in the meantime but you know that was his choice that was his uh, he want, needed to get out of that contract with goosen for his own benefit mm-hmm. to set up his financial future down the line the thing we've seen from him though is when he does come back from layoffs he still looked the same i mean this guy looks the, just as good at least the last time against Edwin Rodriguez. Absolutely. Also, when he came back against Dawson after after a sure. decent stretch after that injury, you know, he looked fantastic. You know, so I think the catchweight here begs a bigger question: whether he's going to go, whether this is really he's just doing this to make it easier for him, or is the, his future more 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 pointed toward 175? And is this just sort of a setup fight for that? It's interesting because there's big fights on both sides. You know, there's Golovkin on the bottom, there's Kovalev on the top. We don't know which direction he's going to go. We just want to see him back and see him against big names. Well, if Andre Ward. Can you know is, is confident he can win at 175? Then there's the I would you know reckon that there are even more big fights there, right? I mean, there's the obviously the the fight a huge fight at one at at 168 possibly against Gennady Golovkin at some time. But other than that, he's cleaned that division out. The guys coming up there are not bad, but still like you know who Badu the Jack Gale. or something. Or, no, James the Gale would be a decent the, fight in England. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, mind no, the it's a good fight rematch. right now. But I mean, if he but at 175, if Ward can compete there, we're talking about Kovalev, better BF. Uh, Stevenson, you know that's a, a sort of a even Politics hotter the division way, but, yeah. at the yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, you know, Andre Ward. Yeah, he, he how what's his HBO deal? I don't know, but uh, well, they clearly didn't want to pick up this fight, which means yeah. it's on you know BET, which kind of asks the question: Is this fight more about 
Ward versus Ring Rust, or is this more fight more Ward about more about Ward versus does anyone even have BET anymore? Does anyone even care about this? Hey, fight? what are you talking about? BET is part of Basic Cable. I have BET. I mean, I have. I gotta I, check I, if I my, do. My BET glory days were back. I, you're right. Like the mid '90s, I was watching Big Les and and Joe Claire on Rap City. Uh, but <laughs> you know, the times have changed. You know, I get my music in other ways. Um, but um, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of I'm, I have nothing against finding BET on my dial and watching it on this one. Um, you know, I, I guess here's a question for you though: Does Andre Ward, if he wins and looks good against Paul Smith, does he get to does he get to jump right back into the pound for pound top ten at number two? I've heard some, you know, some people sort of saying off the, you know, off the record that they would that they're ready to launch him back there. I think he has to look fantastic because this fight is so made to order for him. Even though I mean Smith is not horrible, he's just a second tier guy. Right. But this fight is made to order for him to come in ring rush or not and dominate. Uh, yeah, well, you I know think who's I, not willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in that case is who? Mister Gennady Golovkin. Well, we've heard a lot of. Passive aggressive smack talk. Do you want Do you forth. want me to read a few lines of, of yeah, what g- Golovkin said? I mean, I'm going to read it in English, not not in the Russian. I could, but I'm just, uh, you know, I'm not give trying to lay loop. that on. Give me the loop. Well, I mean, the last two paragraphs that were translated are the pretty, you know, the the heavy ones. Uh, you know, you haven't been. He's, this is Gennady Golovkin to Andre Ward speaking in to, to in a Russian interview. You haven't been interesting to anyone for a long time, so he will no longer engage in the promotion of your name. Go and build your own image. Although everyone already knows what you are, and because of this, they do not go to your fights. You shouldn't worry about who I'm going to box or have boxed. You were lucky with the Super 6 tournament because you got your opponents by contract. And who are you fighting now? The 4th, 5th ranked fighters in England. If I say that I'm ready to box any middleweight and ready to rise to 168 for a big fight, then I am responsible for the words, and I have nothing left to discuss with you as a man you are dead to me yeah i <laughs> i did reach out to somebody in the golovkin camp by the way who really questions the, the way that that was translated and, and sort of blown why? up why they should be uh, blowing it up that, that's well, like they awesome should be. you're right <laughs> they, should they absolutely all the credit. whoever be. whoever made that up in russian i you know you you just brought in like ten thousand more ggg fans there's that that's a heel turn waiting to happen yeah. right there but we're seeing on the flip side ward coming out with with it, right now what we're hearing you know right now is ward basically saying he's been trying to make this fight forever in golovkin people are ducking him and then everybody in the Golovkin camp for you know a year and a half is trying to say that they're re- they're ready to make this fight as long as the financials are okay but Ward doesn't want it because it took him so long to get back in the ring well, do I you think, have a side that you believe more look I think that GGG's camp is at the point where they don't care anymore I don't and they they can legitimately claim I think that they don't really need Andre Ward they look at the the trajectory that GGG is on right now with Ward not fighting once in the last like 18 no more 20 months um you know and, and he's gotten and, and and if it, there's, it's just as likely that the big fight will come from below with, with Canelo. Uh, if he manages to beat Cotto, I wouldn't put my money on Cotto fighting GGG. But, um, you know, G, I think GGG has reached a point where he's like, he doesn't have to let Ward dictate to him. It's a guy that sure. has never put up big numbers, has, ne- has never been able to draw outside of Oakland. And he's fighting in Oakland this weekend. We'll see if he manages to draw there after a huge sports weekend there with the, with the Warriors winning the, 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 the NBA championship. Um, some you know, runoff? You're, you're predicting some Warriors runoff for Ward? No, I'm not. Pre- I'm saying like <laughs> Warriors hangover. Like people are done. They don't give a damn about Andre Ward. They just want a much more important thing than seeing Andre Ward beat up this dude from England that nobody knows. Um, 
you know, it, I agree with you that that he doesn't need this meaning Golovkin because of what's going on he, lately. But I think he, he needs go, he needs that kind of name on his resume. Um, I think he should go out of his way to make it for one reason. Golovkin has been the people's champion since he first launched, and a big part of that platform was I'm willing to fight anybody over three divisions. Sometimes he's even set up to 175, and then they sort of pulled back on that. If that is true, and that seems to be always true with him, obviously Ward's the one guy mm-hmm. that potentially brings that kryptonite. That potentially uh, from a pure proves- boxing fan point of point of view, I mean, what an amazing fight! I mean, two, yeah, well, two guys who we legitimately believe are great at this point, uh, and ha- and and have a really interesting style matchup. Uh, who can can Ward defuse Gennady Golovkin? I mean, it, it's a great fight, and, and as a boxing fan, one that I would love to see. But as also as a person who has sort of become a GGG fan over the past few years and, and watched Ward kind of not do much to endear himself to any fan. It's hard to to really, you know, it's hard not to feel, you know, take a little bit of Gigi's side and just say, look, man, like you haven't done anything to help us get to this point. Why should I come to you now? See, but the same reason why I've always fought that that in the past few years, Mayweather should have moved up to middleweight at least once to try mm-hmm. to get a belt was because when you have a guy who's part of your era and is the best, as a, whether you're a fan of him personally or not, you almost want you want to find out how great this guy is. Yeah. You you know you want I'd rather Mayweather go up and do go up and beat a big middleweight so I can you know say years from now I I followed this guy I was there and and one of the truly greats of all time was in my era I watched him I covered him you the same thing with Golovkin whether you're a super fan of him or not you want to find out if this mythology is for real yeah and you don't want to see him play the game where he's like well i could wait out ward for a couple years and then catch him when he's a bit older and then you know maybe then i'll get that name on my resume it'd be nice if ggg never puts his fans through that kind of justification game you know well he beat him at this age would he have beaten him at that age you know problem is you know ward's gonna try to price himself out you just know it for sure. Uh, well, I don't know, but let me let me move on. You know, I mean, it's it's fun to yell about GGG. Uh, there's one other fight we wanted to talk about going into this weekend: David Lemieux against Hassan Njikam Endam. I had to throw in that extra middle name because I love this guy. Uh, they're fighting for a vacant middleweight title. Uh, who's the one who vacated that one? This was the Jermaine Taylor belt oh, that he gave up <laughs> when he was firing Taylor shots at Memorial. Yeah, yeah uh, when he pulled the gun during the parade. parade. Yeah. Oh boy! All right, any. For Jermaine Taylor, I hope you're all right, uh, and uh, you know that's all. Um, but anyway, David Lemieux versus Hassan Endam uh, fighting in Montreal at the Bell Center, right? Is it the Bell Center or the Pepsi Center? Absolutely, Bell, Bell Center. Center. Um, Fox Sports 2 on Saturday. Um, you know, two good, solid top five, ten middleweights, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is a solid fight. Good style matchup. Obviously, Lemieux's the big puncher. Almost like, you know, the junior version of Triple G, where he just comes to seek and destroy. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, he doesn't have the, all the intangibles in, the, in the, the boxing ability, but he's fun. He's marketable. He's a guy that it's hard not to root for. He doesn't have the boxing for. ability, but boy, does he have the locks. He's got the Oh, got the locks. Dude. Got the pop in the hands. And Endom is sort of that shifty boxer, relies on footwork and speed, doesn't really have great balance, can get a little bit reckless, but he, he's fearless, comes to win. Of course, we saw him get off the canvas Five or six times when he lost his title to Peter Quillen, and he, and he didn't even train for that fight. It was just sort of a uh, he was going to get stripped of the belt, so he, he would said, you know, I might as well just mm-hmm. fight for it on two weeks' notice. I have a lot of respect so for Endom. Um, I mean, I, I think Endom is not not bad. I mean, we've uh, American fans have really only seen him on those two occasions, right? And losing to Quillen, and then you know, looking very good in defeating uh, Curtis Stevens right. last year on ESPN. Stevens uh, just never pulled the trigger. Yeah, I'm but I mean, it's because because he couldn't catch up with him, you know. True. Um, so. Uh, which, which, you know, which makes you wonder: is is Endom sort of quick enough and shifty enough to to give Lemieux troubles? You know, yeah. give him fits for a while in this fight for some time. 
But I just think that, you know, Endom doesn't have great balance. I think he can be yeah. hit if you can corner him. I think eventually the power is probably going to catch up to him. The interesting thing here is if you want to ask what's at stake outside of a vacant title is that the winner's probably the front runner to face Triple G in the fall. You know, if he's not going to fight Terriano Johnson, who was also being mentioned, oh my you, God. You, you assume that, that Golovkin's going to want to do unification, right? Did, uh, that, that's what I'm about. Is that good? Unification. Yes. Um, that's what he wants. So you think the winner of this, I mean, and if it's Lemieux, obviously, like, that's a, that's then, one of the best HBO type matchups you could I make. I do right? want to push back against this recent claim that came, that came out with our with our with our boy, the recent Hall of Famer Jim Lampley, calling comparing Lemieux, Golovkin, Cotto, and Canelo to the four the four kings <laughs> of the eighties. I mean that the that, hyperbole on HBO in the last year has been pretty rough, rough at times. Right? I mean Lemieux especially is like a, a seriously lagging you know right. fourth pony in that in. In that uh, in that race, um, although I do agree, it w- could make a very fun fight with uh, Golovkin because he's going to you know sprint straight into a number of punches. Um, but yeah, so you know we're looking at a possible next Golovkin opponent. I think it could be a good a good fight with a with some you know contrast in styles. And Endam also has a low key most entertaining corner in boxing. Like the, the, his trainer is like a five foot. Uh, maybe four foot nine, uh, bald Frenchman who looks like some some kind of funky Bond villain. You know, like I mean, it is. It, it, watch them, and if they show his ring walk, watch him. He he comes in with some crazy dancing ring walks. I mean, they're 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 a fun team to watch until they start boxing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to just be looking at Lemieux's hair, so I may miss that entrance. I mean, this this guy's got the best hair in all of sports, right? I mean, this is I, Beckham. Dude, I mean, I bought a lock on on eBay and I put it under my pillow. I mean, you know, I weave it into my clothes. I want it against my chest. Oh, that was gross. But hey, let's. let's <laughs> wow. Oh, does that mean we got to go to some predictions, or do you want to hear some more about what I've done with Lemieux's hair? Release, rotation, splash. Let's move on. <laughs> on to the predictions. <laughs> all right. Rafe, let's start it off with, I know I've been tempted to call Broner Birdo, because I've been doing it all week. Let's start off with Broner Porter. Yeah. Who you got? Uh, me? You know, I... I'm I'm gonna believe in Sean Porter and his preparation. Like I think that even though the 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 catch weight he's fighting at a lower weight than I've ever than than he has ever fought at, um, you know I I mean I I know that that guy has come up with some plan to make it and make it work for him. And I think that as long as he's done that. He should win. He should be able to beat Adrian Broner. He's more active. He bring. He just. He's gonna come. He's. He's got exactly a kind of style that has troubled Broner in the past. I mean, he closes distance fast. He can punch a little bit. He's not the most accurate puncher, but you know, I, I Broner. If he just stands there or doesn't move a lot, Porter can just bum rush him. You know, and and he. I think he's gonna put. Broner on the kind of career trajectory that he probably belongs on, which is the Devin Alexander career trajectory. No, no, no. I think no, he's going to no. win a decision. No, no, no. Not in Mutumbro's house here. Here's the problem. You're saying that Porter has the right style to take out Broner, but you're assuming that this is going to be the Maidana Broner or the Carlos Molina Broner. Yeah, the, the Broner I, who, who he no. hasn't shown at what? John Molina, Car- you know, convince you of something different? This is a new guy. Look, I think the PBC and Al and Floyd are in his ear. They're, they, they're realizing, look, this guy's still potentially be a big brand. It's it's just too smart to, to not try to get him to box and clean up. And with the catch weight, like I teased when I talked to you, when we were talking to Lou about this fight, uh, you know, I just really... I, 
I like Broner to be able to outbox him because if they're going to be smart and look at the tape, what Kell Brook did so well was work behind that jab and hold, work behind that jab and hold. And if and if Porter's going to be compromised, and I know that Broner might not be the exact boxer that Brook is, I think the opening there with the long arms that Broner's going to be able to use that distance, box, stay out of trouble, win a decision. That's where I'm going. Well, that's that's where you're going then. How about here's a tough one to pick: Andre Ward against Paul Smith on Saturday. Uh, out of Oakland on BET. Who you got there? The problem with Paul Smith is he loses when he steps up to the top level. You know, we've seen it. Uh, and he, and he also Are we gets... putting, like, Arthur Abraham at the top level? No, Ooh. I mean, when he steps up to James DeGale level, to Abraham, to George Groves level, and he not only loses against a few of those guys, he gets stopped. Yeah. And I think Ward is just such a professional, despite what you think about him, and he, and he can be grading on people. He's been in the gym this whole time. He's really got hunger because going through that situation with, to get out of his goose and contract, it really got him to the point where he almost wanted to quit boxing. So now he's got that hunger back. I think he's going to look fantastic. I think he's going to get a stoppage. I've, a stoppage. And just really stamp, get back into people's top 10 pound for pounds, and just be in a spot where we can start talking finally about big fights for this guy. You know, I, I mean, Andre Ward is going to win this fight. I, I, you know, who's the last? I guess he did manage. He did stop Chad Dawson. He kind of basically it looks like he sort of ended Chad Dawson's career. Yeah, which well, wait, train Chad Dawson. But we got to well, be fair. That's true. Yeah, it was <laughs> Dawson's choice, though. Yeah, um, but um, I don't. I mean, just more often than not, Andre Ward is going to outpoint someone, and uh, I'm going to say that Andre Ward will out outpoint Paul Smith. Wow, quick to the point, to the point. No what else faking, is there to right? say about it? I mean, he'll look good, and I can't wait until he fights better opponents and we see some really great fights because he is, he's a, he is a legitimately great fighter, and he has not shown us anything but that, and he should stay in the ring. Absolutely, absolutely. So one more fight, vacant middleweight title, Lemieux Endam. Rafe, who you got? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm tempted to go with my man Hassan and Jikam and Dom because of all of the the style he brings and the 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 you know his his boy in the corner and all that stuff. But um, I know he's your man, but he's what's my your guy. man got to do with me? Yeah. You know, because I got to, a man. I'm not trying to play that. See, <laughs> and he's got um, good hair. You know, yeah, you know. Uh, but no, I, I think Endam will give Lemieux some trouble. He'll he'll be elusive for a while. I think Lemieux is is a smarter fighter than uh, than he's been given credit for in the past, and he's grown a little bit from some of his losses. And he'll know to go after the body a little bit. He'll slow. He'll break Endam a break break him down a little bit, and eventually knock out Endam. I think uh, mid to late round stoppage. Absolutely, Lemieux's basically going to be like, "Here's a funky introduction of how nice I am." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> tell your mother. Tell your father. He's going to send a telegram here with a nice mid to late stoppage and we're going to be talking about Golovkin that's what we're going to be talking dude let's do it let's talk let's talk I'm ready I'm ready to talk let's talk about GGG I can't believe I'm getting into this see you and Lamps by the way you and Lamps love doing the GGG which to me is so awkward it's triple G guy well I just I I mean I just said you know I just said that because I was trying to you know match you lyric for lyric with salt Uh, and pepper did you say DSG I started saying that and making the rounds this week I started to I'm like you know if we can say triple G GGG I'm going to start saying DSG every single time you can say DSG I know who you're talking about like. J-Lo, you're on the six. You know yeah, what it's about. You know, I'm just, you know. I'm Whatever that means. Yeah. Right. The block. So, dude, we wrapped it up. Another ropes in the book. Indeed, man. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, you know, we want to thank Lou DiBella for calling in and giving us a great interview about Sergio Martinez and the PBC. Uh, we want to thank everyone out there for listening. Please, if you haven't already, um, go ahead into iTunes and rate us, review us, follow Brian B. Campbell, at B. Campbell ESPN. Is that right? Absolutely. I got Cor- it. Corporate follow living. me 
at at Rafe Boogs if you want. Um, tweet at us, you know, make fun of us, do what you got to do. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Tell us who you want on the show, right? Tell us who yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if hear. we can get them. Let's see if we can get them. We can get anyone. Let's uh, do it. All right, all right. Let's 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 do it. I'm I'm up for it. And uh, most of all, or you know, certainly not least of all, thanks to Joe Fuentes and David Jacoby, our producers from the Grandland Network. Um, that's it. I think we're out. We out, bro. Descanel, do it. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.